Hey, welcome to the City Paper Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. Today's show is heavy on the political side of things, which really shouldn't surprise anyone considering what's going on this week in Pittsburgh. First up, we have an audio postcard sent by producer Ashley Murray from Hillary's Stop in Pittsburgh. That's Hillary Clinton. Then we sit down with Iraqi journalist and poet Sabreem Kadim, sharing her thoughts on her past, religion, gender, and war. We bring in our panel to talk about some really important races in Pennsylvania that are losing attention to the presidential primary. And finally, we can always rely on Celine Roberts to chill things out with her soundbite segment. Today, she's taken us to Penn Avenue Fish Company, where she gets behind the counter and gets splattered with fish scales. I'm so happy I missed that. Thanks for listening. First up, let's put up our ears to the sounds of last week's Hillary Clinton rally at Carnegie Mellon University.
The cashier doesn't say, oh, okay, you only have to pay 78 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Or if you're an African-American woman, you only have to pay 68 cents on the dollar. You just heard from Avery Smith, CMU Acapella Group Soundbite. It's spelled differently than uh, our Soundbite segment. It's a good name. Also, Larry Nicoletta, Arsema Thomas, and Valerie Tatalovich, who were at last week's rally. Next up, Pittsburgh has been lucky to play host to a lot of talented artists and voices over the years, not the least of which is Iraqi journalist and poet Sabrim Kadim, whose work focuses on politics, religion, and gender. She's been widely published in Iraqi newspapers, and she just finished up her time as City of Asylum's poet-in-residence. Multimedia editor and producer Ashley Murray sat down with her in the City Paper studio this week. Hi, Sabreem. It's a pleasure and honor to have you here in the City Paper studio. I'm pleased being with you. Sabreem, I've had the privilege of speaking to you twice already. Uh, you are such an interesting and dynamic person that it's hard to know where to begin. But let's start with your childhood, uh, during which the entirety of your childhood and teenage years, um, you experienced war. And you said as a child you had many unanswered questions for which you sought answers in the library uh, and through reading. So what answers were you looking for? Uh, you know, it's uh, when you just start to grow up and uh, you feel there is a difference because you're being something like strange. And um, I don't know why I'm strange. Um, then it's being, uh, I had a really heavy head and um, especially when, it, when my question being uh, really what weird to uh, people around me, my teacher, um, sometimes um, people in my neighborhood. So I start to keep it to myself, but it's being, you know, bigger and bigger. Then um, I started by find a chance to myself to read. And uh, it was in uh, a southern city. <laughs> and uh, it's... Um, it's a, a local uh, big bar in Baghdad, uh, the capital of Iraq. And there we don't have a lot of libraries. Um, in Al-Sadr city, we have just one library. So I go there and uh, and uh, start read, and um, especially about why it's, it's so strange to be a woman and uh, why there is a lot of red lines. And uh, because I start, I, I wear al-hijab. 
and uh, I feel guilt and uh, I don't know why God will please me one day but it's being um, it's being like I want to hide myself because people look at me look at my body when when I was child and uh, I was with this like this with my cat hair and I don't like long hair because all my friends were they were were just guys and I want I just feel I'm like them I wear jeans <laughs> and uh, t-shirts um, and hang out with them and get fun till I um, my family star don't allow me to to just hang out and get fun with them and uh, they say you are a woman not a, not a, not even um, a girl and uh, you're not allowed and it's shamed to do like what what you do um, and for our listeners who can't see you now um, you have quite a funky haircut <laughs> which I love um, and you did find maybe some answers you were looking for you turned to a career in journalism so you you did go to school and you did become a professional woman um so can you talk about finding that confidence and then why you chose um to to have that career mm -hmm. when i was a child i have a list uh let me say goals or dreams and i keep it to myself um when i remember it now i was I'm thinking about being everything, <laughs> uh, painter and uh, artist and a dancer and a singer. And uh, one of those things, I w it was being correspondent one day. And uh, and if I, like, back to this time, I don't know even, like, the word correspondent. Mm -hmm. I just, like... Uh, this guy who just saw on TV and uh, speak and uh, he he stand in the street and uh, not the one who's inside the studio, you know, it's like just uh, breathing. Um, then as um, I just graduated from high school and uh, then direct, I, I found a chance on local Iraqi television and I go there to make tests and... Um, and uh, because my Arabic, you know, we, we write and edit the news in, in the classic Arabic, not we have a different accent in, in the Middle East. And because my Arabic language was uh, excellent to them, and uh, then uh, they make, like, tests, you know, vi voice and uh, editing. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's, um, I don't start like a professional uh, correspondent, uh, but it's... It's been by time, and uh, till now, like 10 years, when I was 17. <laughs> it's 10 years being a um, journalist in Iraq, a writer, an activist. And, I mean, the experience is, is really tough, and it's, it's, it's pushy to, to just uh, grow up and, and uh, to be sometimes really strong. And uh, also, um, um, you say, uh, oh, I do it. It was really impossible one day. Now, also, you, w while you became a journalist, you also were influenced by Middle Eastern poets and a couple of American poets, and, and that drew you in, and you became yourself a poet. 
Um, so this past March, uh, four of your poems were translated into English and printed in Samsonia Way. And you also have a collection that you are in the process of getting published. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could read a part of one of your poems for us. And um, mm. if you could talk about, you know, what the poem means and, and the translation of it. Okay. Um, uh, one of those, let me tell you a story behind uh, uh, um, The world is dying gently. I, I feel I have two parts and sometimes like two kind of lives because I'm being a, this journalist, keep talk <laughs> all the day with a different people. And this kind of person is just quiet and uh, look at things and think about it. The, the daily Iraqi life is not normal. When it's not normal to go out and to see bombing and then go to drink tea. One of our friends is killed, and uh, he was really amazing and talented journalist. And uh, then we we just like try to forget, and and uh, and we say like he's somewhere, but he's he's not here. To just uh, adjust with it. This thing is um, maybe without writing. Really, I think. Uh, maybe uh, we'll get really mad. W would you read? Um, I really I I couldn't read it. Uh, uh, you can read it, and I can comment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the poem that Sabrim has just talked to us about uh, her process of writing it, and I'm so sorry about your friend. Um, so the, the poem is called The World is Dying Gently. After all the atrocities, triviality will make you cry. After all the explosions, it's the cold that'll burn you. Thoughts conceived by poets are masks. The mask relies on air. The features smile, nothing else. The kinked banner straightens. A mosquito sips on fleeing blood. A wolf consummates pursuit. Humanity consummates war. War will never end. After the atrocities, the trivial things will make them cry. After the explosions, the cold will burn them. Whatever kills is already dead. Thoughts conceived by the world. All are masks. Yeah. Um... Maybe I wrote this because I I feel I don't have any any comment anymore, and uh, uh, people who they want to know the fact is easy, is everywhere. Um, but when we still hide and uh, like we're foolish and we don't know and we don't get it and we don't understand. Um, this is the part of the problem. We say we want war around the world to stop, but we don't do that. So did you not want to read it for me in English because uh, it's very emotional for you, or was it that um, it would maybe 
or it means something more to you to say it in Arabic? You know, it's, uh, let me tell you something, because I'm, um, I'm a pretty close from everything happening uh, now in Iraq, and I couldn't say it's, less, it's just memories and a far past of mine. So sometimes when, especially when I make interviews with mm-hmm. people, I, I support my ego and uh, just to be uh, more strong. I don't like mm, myself when I'm in public, like, be weak and, uh, and you know, emotional. And very raw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to, uh, to feel um, I'm okay and I can continue it. Because uh, even uh, when I give details, um, I don't go to this kind of details which it's hurt me, um, um, and uh, I'm being really what a, a really great with this because uh, when I did um, different kind of interviews uh, with, the <laughs> with the newspapers and here in Pittsburgh, uh, sometimes um, I just like. Um, you know, start crying and... So after being the the poet in residence at City of Asylum, uh, what's what's next for you? Uh, next to me, it, um, really, I, I want to give myself vacation, but I couldn't because <laughs> uh, I, I thought, okay, I don't have anything to do. Then is my vacation what... Uh, which I uh, which I waited for a long time. I want to know more. Also, I, I you know anyone had a, sometimes I'm fine with it, with my my own stuff, but to me no. I want even if I go around uh, um, my place to walk and to know there is like a nice coffee with they had culture events or music events. Um, it will add something, and I want to know and uh, what it's like teach myself um it, something it's really it's really i love it in petersburg petersburg uh, it's had the same structure in baghdad this three rivers to me it's one river called tigris <laughs> we have tigris in baghdad also tigris in baghdad we have like this uh bridge we had also many bridges in baghdad so anytime I just across anyone of those bridges, I feel like, oh, it's Baghdad. It's a future Baghdad after 100 years, maybe. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank I you. really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure you're going to continue enriching many people in Pittsburgh, everyone that you meet. Thank so you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now let's jump into our weekly city paper panel. The Pennsylvania primary is in less than two weeks. While, of course, there's a lot of attention on the presidential primary, there are also other important races, not the least of which is one of Pennsylvania's U.S. Senate seats. We're here today with city paper editor Charlie Deach and staff writers Rebecca Nuttall and Ryan Dito to talk politics. Thanks for joining me. All right, Ryan, you're covering the U.S. Senate race, which is not getting nearly as much attention as the presidential race. Why should people be paying attention? Um, well, first, I I, I want to answer the, probably why it's not getting as much attention as we don't have any candidates lobbying, you know, insults towards Muslims or 
Mexicans or anyone else who, you know, has crossed the, the, the current front runner, I guess. But uh, it is important because pundits have said that this Senate seat is, is crucial if the Democrats want to retake the Senate, I guess. Um, there's currently the uh, Senate makeup is 54 Republicans, 44 Dems, and two um, independents who uh, caucus with the Dems. So I guess they're with 24 Republican seats up for re-election and only 10 Democratic seats up for re-election in terms of the whole U.S. Senate, there's a really big possibility that the Democrats could retake the Senate and the Senate, the Pennsylvania Senate race is uh, one of the most important. Yeah, I think uh, I think the, I think what's important about this primary is if the Democrats don't beat Pat Toomey in November, you're going to be able to trace it right back to this moment when they decided to lobby Joe Sestak, who'd been running again for the Senate seat for like a year and a half, going well, actually no, since, for right, six years, yeah, basically six since years, he yeah. lost six years ago to Pat Toomey, he has been preparing for the second uh, second go around. So he has the money, he has the platform, he has notoriety because he barely lost to Toomey before. But the Democrats decided they needed a candidate that they could better control, that they could better control the message and control the campaign. And so they they offered it to everybody and their brother, including Rich Fitzgerald. And then finally uh, they got Katie McGinty, who I actually think was doing a pretty good job in Governor Wolf's office, uh, to, to go after the seat. And so they're spending a lot of money now. And she's way behind in the poll. I know she's gained some, but she's still pretty far behind. Yeah, the, the uh, most recent primary poll was, uh, I believe it was Sestak at forty-one, McGinty um, at thirty-one, uh, Fetterman at nine, and nineteen uh, percent undecided or something like that. And hey, Ryan, just uh, to, for a refresher for some of our listeners who might not know, uh, could you just give us a breakdown of who's running and um, what's going on with the race? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Braddock Mayor, current Braddock Mayor John Fetterman uh, is running. He's kind of the um, outsider, the wild card, as um, some will say. He's he's been aligning towards uh, Bernie Sanders and trying to, uh, I guess, fit into that style of um, you know off the cuff, very um, focused on inequality. Um, he, he he really likes to talk about how he actually lives in these um, you know tough towns that um a lot of americans maybe aren't uh you know paying attention to and um and he's going up against you know katie mcginty who is the party favorite she's received endorsements from president obama vice president biden governor wolf pittsburgh mayor peduto Mm. basically anyone you can think of in the democratic party and she's also been getting a lot of environmental support like charlie said earlier she uh was uh governor wolf's former uh chief of staff she was also the um, secretary. Uh, excuse me. She was also the secretary to the uh, Department of Environmental Protection in PA for uh, for a oh, while, wow. and uh, and now um, and now she's a uh, you know handpicked by the uh, Democratic Party to go up against Joe Sestak, who uh, is a former Navy. Uh, he's a retired Navy admiral, a former U.S. congressman from uh, Delaware County, PA, and uh, he. He's basically been running since 2010. Walk. He's literally walked the entire state, 422 miles right. from uh, from in the end. Yeah, if you've seen <laughs> if you've seen his uh, his uh, news releases or anything about how he's walking through your town, that's that's him. And uh, he, he's been uh, I've described him as champion at the bit for a rematch. Mm-hmm. Charlie, you were talking about all the money they're pouring in. Yeah, uh, Washington Post just reported that um, the Democratic Senate committee 
candidate committee. DSCC uh, is spending $1.1 million yeah. to boost McGinty's ads right before the Democratic primary. What's really interesting about that is that that $1.1 million could have gone, could have just been saved for whoever comes out of the primary to go up against Toomey, and Toomey has like $9 million uh, saved up just waiting to take on mm-hmm. uh, whoever the Democratic uh, you know, nominee will be, and they they don't have that much money. With McGinty having all this support uh, within the party, uh, what's going against her in this campaign? Uh, what What's a challenge for her with all that support? Hmm. Uh, I guess it's really name recognition. I don't think a lot of people knew who she was before mm-hmm. she ran, uh, whereas Joe Sestak had, you know, like I said, walked across the whole state, so he's had a little bit more grassroots uh, name recognition. But well, Joe Sestak, excuse me, Ryan, Joe Sestak is also the guy that knocked Arlen Specter out of the U.S. Senate after decades in the U.S. Senate, and that's how Arlen's, or that's how Joe Sestak made his bones was by kicking the crap out of Arlen Specter when he decided to switch from Republican to Democrat. Yeah, to get reelected. To get reelected. <laughs> look up that, uh, that great, my favorite, my favorite campaign video of all time. But the funny thing is, you talked about polls. Sestak was behind Specter by like 20 or 30 points just a few weeks before the election. He had this brilliant ad where it just captured, t- he took this soundbite of Arlen Specter saying, my change in party will allow me to get reelected. Very creepy. <laughs> But it was all part of, you know, he was basically saying, my opponent is trying to paint me as somebody who they took it perfectly out of context. They couldn't unring that bell. And that's what but that's how that's how Sestak became known. He he became known as the guy who beat Arlen Specter when the Democratic machine didn't want him to even face Arlen Specter. So he he has a long history of discord with the Democratic. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why there's been so much um, public endorsement and Mm -hmm. financial support for McGinty. Uh, I don't think. The, the um, head honchos in the Democratic Party trust J- Joe Sestak or like Joe Sestak at all, and he's been fighting against that. He's, a, he's actually starting to embrace that now, but um, as like he's an anti-establishment kind of Yeah, I think uh, they candidate. worry about anyone that, that they think they're, they might have a problem controlling someone. I think that, that that's the problem. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, now there's also the race for the attorney general. Becca, you want to tell us who's running in that primary? So running um, in the May primary for Attorney General are um, Northampton District Attorney John Morganelli, um, our local Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zapala, and then Montgomery County Commissioner Josh Shapiro. So we have people from all across the state running for the seat that, like the Senate race, hasn't really been getting as much attention as it should. The two front runners in this race so far have been Shapiro and Zapala. Um, Morganelli has been running um, a much more quiet race, and I think um, Shapiro and Zapala seem to be the front runners right now. But um, Zapala actually received some criticism um, a few weeks ago because he his first campaign ad in the election was basically capitalizing on the Black Lives Matter movement. He highlighted what he saw as several victories for African-Americans throughout his tenure as district attorney, um, some things that he has done to address racial profiling and different things like that. But um, I think we at City Paper, you know, we look back on some of the cases that he's covered and we found that maybe his record on these issues wasn't as great as he thought. Yeah, one of the cases, unfortunately for Steve Zapala, is... Uh, one of the reporters that covered the main case that he talked about 
15 years ago was me. I mean, I, at that time, I was the only reporter covering that story. I was the old in Pittsburgh News Weekly. Um, and he really went – I was surprised when I saw his press release. And he, had, he really went on at length about the John Charmo case. And, John, for those that don't know, really quick history. John Charmo was a city housing authority officer uh, – who was involved in a high-speed chase with a with the um, I think a, I think it was a 35 40 year old um, African American man named Jerry Jackson. The the it's the the chase started I think somewhere somewhere either in uh, maybe in the hill or something like that, and then it wound through Oakland. He came into the South Side, and it was a it was a high-speed dangerous chase. Other officers uh, were also involved, and so for those familiar with the Armstrong Tunnels, which is right there uh, at the end of the 10th Street Bridge. Uh, sort of under Duquesne, I guess, hmm. Duquesne uh, University. Jackson flies into the tunnel with flat tires. Charmo follows, and Charmo's version of events uh, are that Jackson did a turn, a without touching the walls, did a stuntman-quality turn in the tunnels on flat tires and was coming back toward Charmo. Charmo then says he opened up his, you know, opened the window, pulled his gun out, and 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 fired shots and killing killing Jackson. Uh, he the fam and and that night city homicide detectives did little to uh, you know to 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 debunk his story even though the evidence was all right there. Accident accident reconstructionists were sent away. Homicide took over the case. Wouldn't let these people in who could have told the issue or you know so, or really got to the bottom of what happened that night. Cyril Wecht ends up doing a uh, uh, Cyril Wecht does a, 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 a coroner's inquest, which at that time we don't have those anymore. But at that time, the coroner could basically call an inquest and he could decide if charges were merited or whatever. Um, so the Jackson case just gets filed away until his mother sues and the civil attorney for uh, for Jackson's mother, Ina Jackson. They find all this evidence, including a videotape. That shows because because Jerry Jackson was driving on a flat tire. It shows that he didn't turn. Charmo, it's believed Charmo sort of spun him out, t-boned up against him, and opened fire with him pinned against the wall. He was completely helpless helpless at that point. Um, and they had a they had a they had a they, they had a settlement with the city. And Stephen Zappala did bring John Charmo to trial. Resulted in a hung jury. Uh, Charmo, I think, spent about a, maybe a year, eight months in jail awaiting trial, but then he was released on bond. Anyway, at the end of the day, Zapala offers a plea bargain to Charmo, which Charmo would plead guilty to a misdemeanor. He went in prison in September. He was out by Christmas. So that's what that that's the extent of Zapala's uh, uh, you know involvement here. But if you read his statements. He's claiming that he brought this officer to trial and brought this officer to justice. You ask anybody who knew Jerry Jackson who followed that case, they'll tell you that justice was not, you know, that there was no justice uh, for Jerry Jackson. There's a pallet to say that that's, a, that that's a, a win in his book, a big win. It's just, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then a few of the people I talked to for my story also highlighted the more recent case where an African-American man was um, beaten in the subway by four or five white men. And only one of the men involved in that case actually will receive any jail time. Right, and this was recently. This was this year or last year. Exactly. Last year. And, that's yeah. and there was video. During the Kenny Chesney. There was right video, the video of the beating. It was... So, I mean, from from the people I talked to's perspective, if you're, you know, 
police brutality, if, you know, equality is something you care about, they think that um, Shapiro's values would more ring true with you. But a lot of the people I talked to also said that Zapala is possibly more electable because no, only one Democrat has ever served, has ever been elected to serve as Pennsylvania Attorney General. And voters seem to favor people who are kind of harder on crime, which is something that, you know, a district attorney fits more in line with. Well, and that one that one person was Kathleen Kane, right? She's done a great job. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of like, well, the one the one Democrat that served as AG went down in kind of controversy. Right. And she's, scandal. She's, and she's still in office. She's not she's yeah. not helping anything by staying in office and being under indictment. So. Yeah. All right. Finally, while we've been giving some limelight to the races people haven't been talking about as much, we do need to address the cover of this week's City Papers election issue. It's an illustration by Vince Dorse. Personally, I saw it this morning. It looks awesome. Charlie, do you want to tell us about it? This was a no-brainer for us. We decided to, in some way, defile the image of Donald Trump. Hmm. And, uh, of course, what rhymes with Trump but dump. And there are many things you could do to dump on Trump. But we decided to dump Trump, and so uh, Vince uh, has the Donald in a uh, classic, you know, carnival dunking booth with uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, um, you know, throwing throwing balls, trying to put him in the water. And the funny thing is, we actually did this so we decided on this so long ago. At the time, we weren't sure if Sanders was still going to be in the race uh, by the time it came to Pennsylvania. That's how early we decided on this. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a fun thing. And I, I wrote a piece about the five. The five greatest things that Donald Trump has done for America by running for president. And so I look into some of those things, and I think at the end of the day, he'll be considered an American hero like your Paul Bunyans or your Tony Sopranos. And I think the people are going to sing his praises uh, from the mountaintops, if I'm not being honest, like uh, uh, Captain Von Trapp. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Trump Trump. If you haven't picked up your city paper election issue, it's in our CP boxes now. Also, our conversation went on a little bit longer. We tend to do that and got a little silly. We tend to do that, too. To see and hear the full thing, go to our podcast page on www.pghcitypaper.com for our panel discussion video. Donald Trump's in town today, so by the time you hear this, we will have covered it. Check it out. See our videos and photos online also at www.pghcitypaper.com. As promised, we're going to cool things down now with our soundbite segment. This week, Celine dives into the job of fishmonger at the Penn Avenue Fish Company. Of course, with a little bit of help of one very talented monger named Kyle. Let's check it out now. I'm here with Soundbite this week at Penn Avenue Fish Company, and I am here to talk to the fishmongers and also Henry Dewey, who is one of the co-owners. So I am here with... Kyle. Kyle. What's your last name, Kyle? Uh, Lotella. Kyle Lotella, and you're a fishmonger here at the market. Yes, ma'am. Are you ready to help me pick out a piece of fish? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I have some really nice Chilean sea bass. Our number one sushi-grade tuna is always good. Flounder is always really nice. Uh, we always have our house Scottish salmon, same one we use in our sushi bar. If you want to go a little bit more in-depth, I do have some halibut cheeks. Uh, this time of year, a West Coast halibut season just opened up. Get it overnighted out of Seattle. The actual cheek meat is like coming right out of the face of the fish. You know, especially like, you know, our fishmonger cut. I got some beautiful John Dory. 
deep water fish, uh, smooth silvery skin along the top and along the belly. It's got these bony scoots that are almost kind of like prehistoric looking. Big eyes because they are a deeper water fish. Uh, they primarily eat squid, so uh, they, the fillet almost looks like a chicken cutlet. Uh, I got that walleye, also really nice. It's just in season, so. I, think I might have to go with the walleye. It looks so beautiful. This is a big walleye uh, coming out of uh, Lake Superior. Uh, it's time of year, springtime they run. Uh, Passover's coming up, so it's kind of a main component for a gefilte fish. We'll start seeing a lot of the fresh ones coming in. One of the main things, though, is we'll do is uh, before we cut a lot of fish, we go through and scale them out. Uh, that way, not only is it easier to cut, but it also makes the skin itself edible, so you're not eating a mouthful of scales. We have electronic scaler. Uh, really nice, kind of just has a rotating drum on it, kind of knocks all the scales off so you don't got to scrape them off. Uh, the other thing is, it, it is pretty dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, go ahead and fire that up. That's all the scales just being brushed off. So there's just that rotating drum with the diamond blades on it, kind of takes those scales off real nice and easy. Oh, you need something that sharp. There's more like little protrusions than a blade, but they are pretty sharp. You get your hand stuck in this, it's uh, no fun. Uh, there's not really a cutoff switch, so it keeps going until you power it off. The trick we always do is thumb and forefinger mm -hmm. right into the eyes. That way it's easy to control the fish. You got all your fingers tucked away. You're not going up under the head, so as long as you keep your hand clear. It's uh, kind of one of those things, personally, working with fish. If I, uh, if I ever eat fish myself, if you find a bone or two, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, it's a fish bone. It's, sometimes people miss it. The scales, though, if you're ever eating a piece of fish and you get a scale in it, it kind of grosses me out. Uh, is that it was on the outside of the fish and somehow, somewhere along the line, someone didn't do a proper job of either scaling the fish or cleaving the fish before they serve it. So uh, you're getting something nasty. It's kind of like biting down on a fingernail piece. It's not very pleasant. So kind of make it a point to get a nice cleaned up fish. It's always just one of those mods that a lot of us have worked in kitchens before. So you're not trying to send out anything that you wouldn't take yourself. So I, I wouldn't even notice necessarily. I mean, I can see it on the walleye because he's got a lot, he or she, I guess, has a lot more right. color. But on the bronzino, on the bronzino I mean, they, to me, to someone who's unpracticed, I wouldn't really be able to tell if they had scales on them or not. Yeah, just by looking, uh, especially when it's all wiped down like that, you're not going to see the scales. But like if you go, if you went and touched it, it'd be real nice and soft and it doesn't have that rigid, you know, scale texture to it. Go ahead and cut this walleye. What do you, so you're grabbing its fins? Grabbing its dorsal fins. What I do is take the head off of these guys first. I kind of start on a little bit different. Uh, this is the way we cut the walleye for our gefilte fish orders. And it's just one of those things that's coming into that season. So it's always good practice to keep, keep doing the same technique just so you know you're always up on your game. But just removing the head, not cutting too deep, will leave the esophagus pretty much attached with all the heart and everything. Big female, and she's got big row sacs in here. People do eat these. Not too particular myself. They do have a very strong fishy taste. Once I make that belly cut on the fish itself, have the head out, the gills, all the entrails, everything, it's all attached into one big piece. And that kind of just makes it breezy, push that away. It sort of looks like a dragon when you lift yeah, it up right. by the head like that and it's all falling all down. Dangling down. Then uh, what's left in here is this big balloon looking thing. That's your air bladder. It's kind of what keeps the fish uh, 
going up and down in the water column. So it's filled with like gas. It's always know you did a good job when you go in there and not pop it when you're first trying to gut it out. If you leave it solid, filled with that gas, you can get a nice grip on it. Go in there and get that all nice and gripped out. That just kind of leaves that whole belly out. All that fish all nice and gutted. We don't have that big belly resistance. Now I can go ahead and make back cuts. Uh, every once in a while, while we stop, make sure you're cutting boards clean. Like I said, it's kind of one of those things where you get a little OCD on it and start cleaning a lot of stuff. But it's one of those things where you got a customer watching you and you're, you're rolling their piece of fish around in a bunch of blood and fish guts. It's not very appealing. So, so you're cutting the, the flesh of the back away from the yep. spinal column? Yep. And that's right here is, like I said, when I say like the bone plates, these are going to be your <clears throat> vertebrae right here along the spine. And those vertebrae will have the vertical bones that come right up to the back to the dorsal fin. Uh, that's like a plate. What I do is when I rest that tip of my knife onto that spine, girth of that knife right there is onto that bone plate. And when you pull that noise, that's you running along the spine there. And just with the tip, and if you stay along that spine, you can go along that bone plate and take that right off like that. Once the back's cut and you have that back loose, uh, next thing you do is uh, <clears throat> go right into the kind of right where it's butthole is pretty much you want to stick the knife so it kind of comes right out of that area and then you're still onto that bottom bone plate so when you just pull you just clear that whole bone plate right there now that gives you the back end free so now you have your back your back end free and the only thing that's really holding it on is the ribs with walleye walleye are a little bit difficult because they have a high rib cage meaning that they protrude out and go right around to hold all that row and a lot of the stuff that they eat so a lot of people don't realize that and will go ahead and cut through the skin. A lot of people, when they do cut walleye or other bony fish like this, they blow through the rib cage, leaving the ribs actually attached to the fillet itself. Uh, then you got to go back and do like a heavy cleanup on that. But we go in and just ever so lightly, you can work around those ribs, just feathering the knife. Uh, pushing the bones down as you go, just feathering it lightly, putting pressure on it, you're able to get that whole belly meat off. Uh, a lot of people, you know, like Uncle Jim that does all the walleye fishing up in Canada will probably blow through all those ribs, leaving that all attached onto that belly. And that's a whole, that's almost a half pound of meat right there that you're gonna lose by doing that or using an electric knife. Then all of a sudden on that side, you're just left with bone. Pretty much it, really not too much flesh to go back in and get. Uh, nice for stock, uh, real nice kind of flaky white fish. Uh, other than that, yeah, we clean them up pretty nice. That's beautiful. I will hardly have to do anything. Nope. Uh, Are like you going to take the skin uh, off for me too? Oh yeah, definitely going to clean this up a lot more. Definitely want to put tension on skin, your left hand, pull, keep your knife at a good angle. This is kind of when you want to almost use like a somewhat used knife, like just under honed, rolls right on there and just pulls all that skin off. You're left with actual skin. You're not left right there. I went a little high and got a little bit of that fat off, which you don't want. And right there is it's just clean skin. That way, it's no loss to us. Kind of keeps that skin nice and intact. And you could also use its skin in like a stock or something like that if you're doing a poacher. This smoothing action that you're doing, I, you're cutting and then you're running your fingers sort of along the grain. Yeah, it's uh, that. Not only does it kind of keep the fish straight and taut so it's not like kinked or it's not bent or not rolled like that uh, that way I get straight cuts on it not only that but anytime 
I run my hand on that. I'm also kind of, there's little pieces of bone left here. Me running my hand on it's going to feel one of those immediately, and I'm going to stop and take care of that. The only bones that are left on it right now are going to be the pin bones. This is the, uh, the master technique that you know, we, all try and, we all try and fillet the fish the best possible way, respecting the fish, getting the highest yield out of it, so you go through less fish. So. And who you're hearing now is Henry Dewey, who has a vested in interest in getting the most bang for his buck yeah, as the co-owner of the business. But we also, we also just try to elevate the whole Pittsburgh area on fish. Like, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of quality, uh, high, highly talented fishmongers making magic with fish. That's one of the things that we, it makes easy coming to work. It's just, you know, it's, it's good for your soul to do it. So if you had a sound that you hear every day that typifies what this business means to you, what would it be? We listen to a lot of heavy metal in the early Sunday morning, but then we go to a more peaceful sound. So it's a, really a combination of all the ice going, the bells ringing, we have a, uh, a tip bell that we ring a lot, but we try to make it sound as nautical as possible, everything. That's about it. All right, that does it for today. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments about the show, please send them to podcast at pghcitypaper.com. That's new. That's exciting. Send us an email. It'll be awesome. One of the songs you heard on today's podcast is our featured MP3 Monday track, entitled Olympus by the metal band Supervoid. Stream or download it on our music blog at www.pghcitypaper.com. Additional music by me, Alex Gordon. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, not to mention our new profile page on Grizzno, the number one social network for podcasts that are not about grizzly bears. Our handle is the same at each and every one of those places. It's at PGH City Paper. The City Paper Podcast is produced by Ashley Murray and me, Alex Gordon, and Celine Roberts. Thanks to Sabreem Kadim and our panel of Charlie Deach, Becca Nuttall, and Ryan Dito for helping us out this week. And thank you for listening. If you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast on iTunes and are streaming it from our site, go back in time and rectify this terrible decision. Or at the very least, take a minute right now and subscribe to the Pittsburgh City Paper Podcast on the old iTunes machine. It's much cheaper than time travel. Do it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Listen to podcasts. Come back next week. Bye. Bye.